0: The following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. To recap a little bit, last week I talked about the Great Reset, and the Great Reset that's happening in the church. Um, that there is a reset going on right now um, that the church is experiencing. I I know this by the Spirit. I know that um, there are some that are going to move with the reset, and there's others that are going to not see it as valuable. They're not going to understand. They're not going to have understanding. One of the words that I treasure over the years that's been spoken over us as a house is that we would be, this was Alan Ross several years ago, that we'd be as sons of Issachar knowing the times and knowing what to do in them. Now, I wish it was just that easy. I wish I could say that we've always gotten it right. I wish I could uh, say that I have always just, yep, I know what time it is. You know, by the way, what time is it? (laughs) <laughs> I, when I did this message, I didn't even realize what the, the, the name of the month was or the, the theme of the month was. But it's really cool because God gave me some scriptures about time. Um, but really, that, that we don't always get it right that when we receive a word like that, it's an invitation. Any prophetic word is an invitation to enter into a relational journey with christ in other words you're going to be a sons of issachar you're going to know the times and what to do in them that has set us as a house as a leadership team not to assume that we just know the times but to be able to hear in the moment the times what the lord is speaking we don't always get a clear picture of the whole enchilada at once we wouldn't be able to eat it so there is a journey that we have been on as a church. And uh, part of that is just discerning the times. And discerning not just the times, but how to respond in those times. It's just a critically important thing. Um, So when we're talking about this great reset, I think back again to the prophetic word of Alan Ross. Um, And he spoke this several years ago And he made a statement. He said, the move of the last century has come to an end. Right, you've heard me say this before. This is repeat. The move of the last century has come to an end. And the move of the next century is just beginning. Now that always struck me, you know, I don't allow a prophetic word to lead me. I I very seldom allow a prophetic word to lead me. What I do is I open up my heart to say, okay, now God, what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that affect what we're doing here? But I I just, in my heart, it witnessed to me that something shifted, and Alan Ross said that it would be, it would have been around 2006 if he would, to put a, a time on it, a date on it, 2006. Now, I started pastoring here as a senior pastor in 2007. And in those years, let me just read a little bit of a recap of the last 13 years, so the last 14 years, the 13 years that I was pastoring. In our nation, the church has been, it's in a time of shaking, uh, the move of the last century, let's see, Pastor pastoring, settling time, for eight years, during those times, we saw a president who started to make proclamations. One of the most anti-Christian presidents, at least with his words, at least with his declarations that we have seen, he started to declare that we were no longer a Christian nation. It was like he wanted to abandon the, the heritage. He um, made a proclamation that marriage was no longer a sanctified union between a man and a woman, and that we can no longer tell the difference between a male and a female, that if it feels good, if you feel like you want to identify as something, then just go ahead and do that. And the Pandora's box that that's opened up. Men claiming to be women uh, and competing in women's sports. It was really a confusing time for the church. Many of us didn't quite know how to respond to all that. How did we stand against the unrighteousness of it and yet understand our responsibility to love people in the middle of it all? We were struggling for a language in many ways. We were struggling for an identity. In many ways, we were caught a little bit flat-footed with the shifts, the massive shifts and changes that really very few of us saw coming. In spite of celebrating our first black president, racial tensions escalated. We saw a clear bias arise in the media, as well as um, moms and dads becoming increasingly addicted to social media. The whole media platform has taken on a life of its own. This is during the, thir- the, the 13 years that I pastored. This time was shaking. We started to see a disconnect in families like we've never seen before. We started to see a disconnect between fathers and mothers, husbands and wives. And a lot of it is, and please don't, you know. <laughs> it's, it's this thing, You know, you know what I'm holding here, right? You know, the the whole social media thing. And all of a sudden, people who really shouldn't have a platform to speak publicly were making declarations that were going out electronically to all sorts of people. And many of us became defiled. Did you know that a lot of bitterness and everything that was coming across your feed was actually defiling you? It was defiling us. Any root of bitterness springing up, beware lest it defile you. I had to shake a lot of that stuff off. I've had to. As I've started to see what happened in those last 13 years, the 13 years that I was pastoring, kids raising themselves. Parents, rather than being parents, trying to be friends with their kids because it takes too much time to discipline and to train your children. How many know that takes time? It takes effort. It takes putting down the phone. Then, in 2016, the wrecking ball. The wrecking ball president. We uh, elected a president who spoke a lot of truth, but he spoke it in a way that wasn't always very gracious. And the result was a divided nation like we've never seen before. The division just went deeper More increasingly, to identify uh, truth um, in the media outlets and in the church, Uh, various perversions became accepted and even championed within the church. Started ordaining ministers in the church that uh, are living a lifestyle that is forbidden uh, by the Lord. Worldwide... The pandemic showed up on the scene, creating fear, mass lockdowns, the problem with the thing that it was so highly politicized that common sense measures were poo-pooed as not effective and withheld from people. The politicization of, now don't get me wrong, the pandemic is real, the COVID, the virus, how it happened, it's all real, I don't deny that. But we could have just had a different response to it if it hadn't been so highly politicized and highly divisive in our nation. Following that, we elected a president who seems like it just makes decision after decision after decision that is really destructive to our American culture and our way of life. As a church, in those 13 years, we saw the passing of several loved ones, including Marcy, dear mother of the house here. Many others. We lost a couple of, Susie lost a couple of brothers, my brother-in-laws. Personally, many of us had uh, suffered physical and emotional trials. This is all stuff that was happening while I was pastoring. Then on top of that, we as a church transitioned uh, pastoral leadership. Now, I'm sure I missed a few highlights in that reel of the, the last 13 years, but just from what I read, can you see that this has been a time of great shaking? It's left a lot of people wondering what in the world is going to happen, what's going on, how can we position, what do we, how, what's our response as a church, what's my response as a Christian, what's my responsibility in all of this? And those 13 years, I remember always saying uh, to us as a people, I I almost felt like a broken record, that we're in transition. (laughs) I didn't realize how true that was while I was in it. I understood it, and I knew that. But now looking back, I can see that we were in a transition. That these shakings are part of a transition But a transition always has a point where you've transitioned and you start moving, okay? I believe that we as a church right now are in that place where we have transitioned. The shift in leadership, pastoral leadership, was absolutely necessary. I was the right guy to have around when all the shaking was happening. I I, I know that, and... God allowed us to do some incredible things here. We've seen some amazing things, and I'm thankful for all of that. But we are in a new season. So the reset has already taken place in this house, if you will. And we are still learning what that looks like. We're learning how to cooperate, how to co-labor with the reset. Remember last week that my core message was, based on uh, 1 Corinthians one eighteen, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I believe that there's a foundation with, that is going to be reestablished in the church of Jesus Christ, and it's the message of the cross. And you know, you can't really do a message on the message of the cross any justice. Uh, Last week, I boiled it down to three points, but I tell you that the message that the cross speaks is so much more vast than I would even have time to think or to uh, verbalize in a year of sermons on it. (laughs) But uh, at the bottom of it all, I feel like the message of the cross is that, number one, God is love. Number two, God is just, his justice. He is righteous. He is holy. He lives in uh, blinding light. And there's no deception, there's no lie, there's no darkness in him at all. He is just. And then mercy is that place where God's love and God's uh, justice meet. They come together. So we talked a little bit about the two uh, uh, riversides that uh, we've been building over the years. And frankly, we built the riverside of God's love for quite a bit over the last 13 14 years there was a time in the church where the wall of god's you know look out he's going to get you right how many remember those days legalism anybody grew up in legalism and that wall was built so high it became an error maybe we swung the pendulum to where this wall got built but i believe right now the river of truth is being filled as we understand the righteousness and the holiness and the goodness of God. Make sense? So traditional, or transition, transitional shaking will always lead to a resetting. And we have to understand what we're being set upon. I believe that the move of the last century was highlighted by the restoration of gifts, the charismatic movement, uh, 1906, the Azusa Street Revival, where all of a sudden people were speaking in tongues, and uh, William Seymour would have young people laying hands on people, and they'd be getting up out of wheelchairs, and the healing revival, and the Jesus people, all the revivals of the last century was a, a move of the restoration of the gifts of God, of the the grace gifts of God uh, coming on the whosoever is doing the whatsoever, wheresoever, right? And um, I believe that the mark of this century, of the move of this century, I believe one of the things that's going to highlight it, I believe holiness is gonna be one of the things, a a true holiness, a true from the heart holiness, not because of legalism, not because of laws, but from the heart because of intimacy, because of love for Jesus that we're going to be moving in a holiness, a true holiness. Uh, But I believe one of the other uh, key marks of the move of this century is that the gifts that were restored in the last century are no longer going to be things that we play in and dabble in, but they are gonna become effective weapons of warfare in this move, in the move of this century. How many know that with the mess that our world is in, they need to see a church that is moving in something more than a good Sunday sermon? We, we need to be moving in something more than the, the greatest doctrine on earth. There has to be an encounter with the real and the living God. Amen? So this week I want to talk... about how we can align our lives with this, whatever this new setting looks like, whatever this transition, whatever this is that I'm talking about, and it's hard to put a finger on it other than that God is, Jesus is just reclaiming his church. He he is establishing himself as Lord and that he is the head of the church. So how do we come in alignment from our hearts uh, with all that? A lot of what I'm going to say today is not new but I wanna hear it with new ears. See, I believe that part of the problem with transition and moving from one move to another, and this, this, this strikes fear in my heart for me, it strikes fear in my heart for the church that I have pastored for 13, 14, 13 years. The people who usually resist a move of God are those that have been in the faith the longest those that have been maybe touched revival and are still living on a move of the past. Or we've had some success in the past and we want to live out our glory days in that. Or face it, a lot of us grayheads we're getting tired, right? Although I shouldn't say that. A lot of you grayheads are getting tired. But Susie will never get tired. Try to keep up with her sometime, I'll tell you what. No, but, but really, it, let, let's just face it. There, there are... Uh, things that happen in life that cause us not to jump up and down that yes, we're running a new race here. But I'll tell you what, there is a grace in God that I am pressing in for. There is a grace in God that I am looking for. In fact, I believe that any of these kinds of transitions, anything that we want change in, in the kingdom, it's going to take the grace of God And by that, I mean, I I define grace as the enabling power of God. It allows us to do things that we cannot do on our own. People get that mixed up with mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting something we don't deserve. This empowerment, this ability to live a life that it's impossible for us to live. So it takes great grace. And there's three main components to receiving grace. The first component to receiving grace is acknowledging our inadequacies. If there's anything the last 13, 14 years, and especially the last couple of years, have done for me, it has shown me how incredibly inadequate I am. It's scary inadequate. I mean, it's like I'm supposed to, you know, there are times I was pastoring the church, and I'm going, I'm supposed to be, you know, Having the, all the answers on this? Give me a break, you know? And it, there, there were times of fear. There were times of trembling. And it, it's unsettling to face your own inadequacies. As a 67-year-old guy, I'm facing some inadequacies physically. I am still trying to learn that I can't go around and lift 150 pounds and carry it over, you know, put it up on the shelf. I, I'm still trying to figure out that I can't. Uh, do certain things in my body. But as a church, we need to understand that what the move of this century is going to require is way above and beyond anything that we can do in and of ourselves. Does that mean we sit back and we say, well, God's gotta empower me, God's gonna do it, He'll do it, you know, we just gotta let, it know God wants to do it through us. He, he really does, He, he can, he, won't do it without us. <laughs> and so we're, we're kind of in a dilemma because if we don't step up to the plate in our inadequacy, in our fear, in our trembling, if we don't step up to the plate in obedience to the, the voice of the Father, there's stuff that's not going to get done. Some people might disagree with me on this, but, you know, oh, God's just going to do it anyway. He's sovereign. No, I, I think that there's a lot of human suffering that is going to happen because the church hasn't stood up and been the church. I think there's gonna be a lot of stuff, wars. There's there's gonna be things that it's up to a people who will understand our inadequacies and then say, pick me anyways. Raise your hands and say, God, pick me, I'll go in the face of my inadequacies. So in receiving grace, that's the first thing. We gotta really face our inadequacies and understand our inadequacies. The second thing to receiving grace, I believe, is cultivating a hunger and thirst for the things. I wanna see some things. I wanna see the miraculous. I am not satisfied with the fact that I've got two brother-in-laws that died, you know, one of, you know, brain cancer, um, the other cancer throughout his body. I'm not satisfied with that. I, I'm not satisfied with uh, the the way that things are coming into our schools. I'm not satisfied with uh, the fact that we've got um, things going on in the presidency that are declaring outright lies. The Antichrist spirit has so enveloped Washington D.C. I'm not okay with that. But being not okay with it isn't enough. I believe that there is a crying out for hunger and a thirst. There is a crying out for search for her as silver. Read Proverbs chapter two by the way. It's an amazing chapter talking about what it is to really pursue the word of the Lord, how precious it is. That when the church becomes consumed and hungry to see righteousness, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, to see it in our schools, to see it in our churches, to see it in our neighborhoods, to see it in our government. I believe that there has to come a hunger and a thirst to see a difference in your families, in our kids. A hunger, a thirst. Part of the thing with the hunger and thirst and facing our inadequacies is that we really have to give ourselves to truth, don't we? We have to allow truth from his perspective to be able to teach us and to be able to lead us and to be able to bring us into the next move of the Spirit. Third component, I, these aren't exhaustive. These are just my ideas. But the third component to receiving grace is that uh, we need to exercise faith that he wants to empower us for change. Grace will always be initiated. See, grace is always available. Right? How many know that? How many know that God is always pouring out grace? But how many know that unless it joins faith, it it just misses the mark, and that grace really doesn't have an effect in our lives? I want to encourage you to think differently about grace. Number one, are you able to face your inadequacies? Uh, Number two, can you hunger and thirst for what's on the heart of the Father? But number three, can you allow the grace and the gift of faith to believe that God wants to do something in you and something in me, something in this church, something in this city beyond what we can do? Can we believe for the grace? Well, I just don't deserve grace, Dave. You don't know, you don't know my life Dave, I don't have that calling. You've got that calling. Dave, I've failed so many times. I don't deserve grace. Everybody, anybody here ever felt like you don't deserve grace? Can I say this? Without grace, the best of us would be duck soup. <laughs> Wouldn't be good. I, I remember when the Lord spoke to me, he said, Dave, your righteousness, the best you can be, the best you can be, when you've got everything all together on a good day, when you've crossed all your T's, dotted all your I's, and you have really kicked it, you've done it well, that's still filthiness. That's still like a filthy rag in my presence. That kicks me back into seeing my inadequacy to do anything that really matters apart from grace. I don't dare, I don't dare being here today preaching a word apart from the grace of God. <laughs> Boy, you guys are quiet. I, I, I know that this is, th- this sounds heavy, but what I'm really inviting us into is one of the most joyful journeys that you can ever imagine. What I'm really inviting us into is this walk with a a, a living and and loving king that wants to use us. We just need to align our hearts and be reset on the things that are precious to him. How many know the church has been set on so many different things? I've seen teachings come from the pulpits in this nation that they grieve my heart. And the church needs to get reset upon what's really important. So number two, commit yourself to relational intimacy with Christ, fight for it. So in realigning with the kingdom, with this reset, it is more important than ever now to commit yourself to a real and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We have preached intimacy from this pulpit for years and years. Before I was pastoring, Bob was preaching intimacy with Christ. And it's, right now, there's such an urgency in my heart to encourage you as a body to learn intimacy with Christ. For some of us guys, that seems really foreign. To some of us really heady people, it seems really foreign. But I tell you what, there is an intimacy with Christ. There is this pursuit of Christ that is no longer an option. <laughs> it, it, you know, the busyness of life, the, the, the stuff that we give ourselves to in life that want to take us away from this intimacy, how many know that there is a battle for intimacy? Fight for intimacy with Christ. And intimacy looks different for, the, for, for you than it does for me. It looks different for all of us. I'm not dictating how you find intimacy with Christ, but there's a scripture. Again, I I like scriptures that challenge me. I like scriptures that actually kind of get me a little bit angry. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because I know God's after something in me. (laughs) Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, haven't we prophesied in your name? We've cast out demons in your name? We've done a lot of wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, this is red letters now, this is Jesus speaking. I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never had intimacy with you. I never had a relationship with you. Depart from me. You're just practicing iniquity, lawlessness. Lawlessness. That's a heavy saying. That, those, that's one of those scriptures that we don't like to preach a lot about. That's one of those scriptures that we don't hear uh, exposes on and exposition, and uh, because it, it it's it's one that can really be an unsettling verse. But I and I'm not here to unsettle you. I'm here to get you settled. <laughs> I'm here to say that intimacy, this privilege of an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe, the one who died for us. It's like, it's not an option, it's a privilege. And it's a necessity. How do we do that? Become a student of the word. Become a prayerful student of the word. Open up the Bible again. Can I be really honest with you? There, I I have gone through seasons where I picked up the word and it was as dry as yesterday's burnt toast. I mean, it was, just wasn't there for me. And there's seasons, there's times that I've gone through that and you, you wonder, you know, well, what's wrong with me? Why doesn't this word make sense? And after a while you just give up, right? Anybody? Anybody else, you know? Can I encourage you to pick it up again? can I encourage you to prayerfully read the scriptures? I have found that I have read, I mean, I've, I've read that thing through probably 30 times, I don't know, in my life. I studied thousands of hours, I, I, you know. I, it's not like I'm ignorant of the word. But I'll tell you what, I am in this season of my life more prayerfully studying and reading the Word. Because I'm finding, for all of my knowledge, I don't get it. Prayerfully, prayerfully. It's not the amount you read. (laughs) It's what can you read in dialogue with the King of Kings, the writer of the Word, and then apply it to your life in a very real and measurable way. I'd rather have two or three verses like that than two or three books memorized. I'm so grateful for the encounters that I've had with the Word. Word, you know, Encounters with the Word that have changed my life. Scriptures that have just opened up a whole new world in the world of grace for me. I want to encourage you. Become a prayerful student of the Word. Give yourself and your family to a deep devotional discipline life. Ooh, that D word, discipline. (laughs) Again, this is not legalism. This is an invitation to one of the most joyful journeys you'll ever have. This is what's going to satisfy you. This is eating the meat and potatoes. But I want to encourage you dads. what, what What if dads and moms, what if you'd sit down to supper together, there's a novel idea, right? And what if dad cracked open the Bible and just read a, a chapter every night? I, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It doesn't have to be anything profound. i tell you the profoundness of it is that you are actually taking the time to bring your family into something that is so important to you. And training our children comes off, it rubs off, it isn't necessarily taught It has to be seen, better caught than taught. Never settle for the religion of form and habit. Check yourself when you see that you're giving lip service rather than heart connection. (laughs) You know, I'm just speaking here from, this is experience. This isn't me pointing fingers at you and saying, listen you guys buck up, this is me. This is me, have you ever had seasons in your life where you're worshiping God, and yet your heart is so far from the worship. Well, I'm reading my Bible, and I can't remember a word I read. Or I'm giving praise, but I realize that I'm thinking of the chores that I've gotta do through the day. You you know what I mean? And I know some of that happens. I I get it, I I understand that. But there's another part of me that says, God, I don't wanna just give you lip service. Everything that I do, I want to do with intention. I want to do so that it really makes a difference in my heart of hearts. I I want this to change. This is aligning your heart with the reset, the great reset. Insist on hearing God for yourself. There's so many ways God speaks. Keep an ear open to hear God. The third thing is to develop the gift of discernment. There are so many distracting voices. Uh, 1 John 4:1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist which you have heard was coming, and now already is in the world. It's not the boogeyman at the end of the age. This is a spirit. Right now our nation is filled with this Antichrist spirit. And I tell you the thing about Antichrist, he's a really good liar. He can bring all sorts of things that seem so right on the inside, but the twist behind it is perverted. The motivation behind it is perverted. I remember uh, early last year when COVID came out, and I was angry. In the spirit, I was angry because I knew it was about control. I knew it was about manipulation. I knew it was, yes, a thing that we needed to address, but I also knew that it was a spirit that was behind it that was about control, fear, and manipulation. I I knew that. I was angry about it. And I started to dialogue with God about it, and... The Lord just started showing me, Dave, that's not the only place there's deception. There is such a deception that has come upon your nation because you as a nation have not loved truth to the end. There has come upon you a spirit, a strong delusion that we should believe a lie. I said, Oh, God, I don't want to. How can we survive? How can I survive? And the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, Dave, the way you're going to know truth in the days to come is through the spirit of discernment. It's time for the church to learn the spirit of discernment, good and evil. This is heavy. Cultivate a genuine love for truth and righteousness. Avoid compromise. Are you sensing the urgency of the hour here? Not a heaviness, but an urgency, a challenge. I believe right now we are in a season where we have to cultivate a genuine truth, love for truth, and a genuine love for righteousness. Not something that just points fingers at everybody else, not somebody that, you know, uh, we are self-righteous and we, we can do this. No, but a genuine love for righteousness. A genuine love for the God of righteousness who is righteous beyond everything we can imagine and that we understand the only way and we long for, the only way we can live in righteousness is to live from his righteousness and to live from his truth. That we have such a connection with the author of truth and righteousness, that we see no other way but just to hide ourselves in him. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's it. I love righteousness. Oh, I love right. my actions aren't always righteous, my attitudes aren't always righteous, but I know deep down inside, there's something crying out that I love righteousness, I love purity, I love holiness. I can, don't always make it, hear me, Please hear me. But I love that, why? Because it is the Christ in me, the hope of glory that's bursting in me. It's the Christ in you, the hope of glory, that is exploding with the love of righteousness and truth, purity. Give yourself to that, cultivate that. Romans thirteen eleven. Do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Oh boy, I'm going to run out of time again. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to to fulfill its lusts. We have been praying on Thursday mornings for years now that the bridegroom would kiss the sleeping bride. There's a slumber that's been on the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. I believe that that's being broken. What time is it? Embrace a, number five, embrace a greater love for the body of Christ. Pursue that. Number six, ask for a greater love for the lost. See those weary and scattered sheep without a shepherd. Number seven, this is all in aligning our hearts with the great reset in the church. Imitate Jesus in humility. The church needs to le- learn humility. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess of those in heaven, of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus earned that exalted place through humility. We need to understand what it's like to be exalted in the kingdom. There is never self-exaltation. That doesn't work. Self-promotion, it doesn't work. In fact, if you want to find yourself going downhill, start to strive in self-exaltation. But humility, and humility, by the way, isn't just laying down and saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. Humility is knowing that we can't, but saying yes anyways to the king. That's true humility. This isn't an exhaustive list. It's just some of the things that God's been challenging me with. A lot of this message is just birthed out of really my own pursuit of a more meaningful and deeper relationship with Christ in this season. resetting my life to the message of the cross I don't see it, it's not an option it's survival I'm going to finish with this Hebrews twelve twenty-eight. We this is the shaking chapter right? this is the, the, the uh, portion of scripture we've been talking about for years a couple of years now at least that there's a shaking going on so that we can receive a kingdom right? But here's what it says, Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Let us have what? Grace. Let us have grace by which we can, may serve God acceptably and reverence, with reverence and godly fear. Because our God is a consuming fire. It's another verse we don't preach on a lot. Let's stand together. And I want, you know, I I feel like I've just wielded a sword that has kind of cut some things open here a little bit. And I don't know what to do about that other than to just release grace upon you, to release the love of God. Because everything that I've said here was said from the posture of a good and loving father, a good and loving bridegroom who is wooing you to himself. And I believe that the journey that we are being called to as a church, as an individual certainly, but as a church, has joy unimaginable, has purpose beyond anything we could have ever imagined. (laughs) And that this word is just an invitation. It's a challenge for us to realign with that for which you've been created, that which you've been born for, that which is inside of you, the Christ in you, the hope of glory. Father, I pray and I release grace. Father, that every person needs to kinda sort things out, what that looks like, but God, we get to do it in conjunction with you, in intimacy with you. So Father, I pray you release your loving kindness your great mercy, your great compassion upon us as a body. Lord, that these truths, this reset, this uh, season of the church, where you are bringing forth a bride without spot and blemish, it seems almost impossible to us right now. But that's the goal, Lord, that you are gonna be presenting to yourself a bride without spot and blemish. Father, I pray your blessing, your peace, your joy, and your grace to fill everybody hearing these words today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.